Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It is March 5th, 2023, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, uh, or you can email me, Jason at overthecap.com. Uh, we're here on a Sunday evening. Typically, I would do these on a Friday or Saturday, but uh, the plan was actually to do it last night, and just kind of time got away from me, a couple different things that went on, and so I said, all right, Got to put it on hold. We'll try to do it Sunday. So we're going to get that in Sunday. So uh, usually we wouldn't do a, a beer night, but we're going to do a beer night anyway, since I haven't done a podcast in probably two weeks here. Uh, so we got the Southern Tier IPA tonight. So we're only going to have one or two of these, no matter how long the podcast goes for. Hopefully it won't be forever. But uh, this is always one of my um, kind of fallback beers that, uh, you know, I really enjoy. So Southern Tier IPA is the uh, is the beer of the evening. As usual, I am joined by Nellie the Bunny. Nellie, anything. Nellie already has the treat, so Nellie is passed out. Uh, I'm sure she'll wake up in a little while looking for more food. But until that point in time, uh, I'm guessing Nellie will probably be pretty quiet. Um, one of the things that I, I'll just bring it up now because I'll probably forget during the course of the podcast. I've gotten a lot of emails in the last two weeks that I haven't gotten a chance to reply to dealing with if we have any type of uh, internships or possibilities of doing something with OTC. Um, there might be something, th this is the this is just like the busiest time of year uh, for the stuff that we do, obviously, because you get into free agency, even though this year's free agency is kind of a dud. Um, th this is kind of the busiest time of year for me. Uh, when it comes to OTC. So anyone that sent anything, hopefully you'll be listening and hopefully I'll remember to to do this again. Um, right back in about a month, um, you know, two weeks after free agency, beginning of April, just because things died down at that point. And I can see if there there's anything that, you know, you guys could work on May, June, July, you know, just two, three months. We, we've done official internships before where we've worked with schools. Um, but, you know, even if it's just an unofficial thing, if you're just looking to gain a little experience doing some stuff, I could try to come up with some projects that you could work on or just something that might be interesting using the data that we have. Um, you know, if you guys want to do some projects on your own or something like that. So, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, to mention that just because there were I just didn't get a chance to reply to it. Uh, most people. Yeah, I'm not. I may have only replied to one or two, so I just wanted to put that out there as just kind of a uh, mass reply right off the bat. Um, other stuff. Thank you for the feedback that I got on the team previews. Uh, it seems like most people kind of enjoyed enjoyed that. We'll go over some of the cuts today um, that I think could happen during the course of the year. Now, I've had a lot of questions about it, so I'll do that today. Uh, NFL Combine came and went. Not a lot seemed to really come out of it. Uh, didn't seem like it was as active as most years, which again, understandable, you know, poor free agent group, um, you know, draft wise, just some question marks about top of the draft kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I could get into the Bears again right now. Uh, Twitter, very angry at me for suggesting the Bears take a quarterback. Um, I don't know why they're so angry, but definitely there, there is a mob that is against the, uh, the concept of taking a quarterback. Um, the only excuse that I can really think of that makes any sense at all if you're taking a quarterback and trying to evaluate two guys at once really is just the the reps that come into play when you're actually just trying to evaluate two guys um 
in terms of development, obviously, you know, backup quarterbacks develop all the time. So, well, not all the time, but backup quarterbacks can develop. So I, I can't buy that as an argument that it holds somebody's development down. But I can understand if someone wants to say that you're, you're not really giving both guys a fair shake by trying to split those reps 50-50 to try and make an evaluation. You know, my take on it, but not to get much into it, just my take on it is you keep both quarterbacks, you probably make it Fields' job to lose just right off the bat. You tell the rookie, just like you did Mahomes or someone else, um, you know, that you're going to sit for a season. And then you're going to reevaluate everything after the year or depending on how Fields plays, it might be mid-year. That's probably a topic as we get closer to the draft rather than a topic for now. Okay, so what do I want to talk about tonight? A couple things, but I think the first thing I wanted to talk about was the Lamar Jackson situation. There still has been no clarity on it. And this was kind of the first time, really it happened last week. It was the first time that I, I think there was some, a little bit of negativity, a little bit of shade being thrown out there by the Ravens. A couple of weeks ago, I did Kevin Cole's podcast, Unexpected Points, um, which you can check out. I have it on my link to it on my Twitter feed somewhere. You can, uh, you know, check his out. It's a it's a good product to subscribe to. Um, you know, he does a lot of really good writing there. He used to do for PFF. Now he's kind of doing it on his own for the time being, and real good stuff. So, but anyway, he'd asked me about it a little bit, and I said, you know, one of the things with it when you're, you're looking at them possibly trading him. Um, because I think he's kind of of the mindset that maybe they would consider it. Um, I think I thought one of the things that you look for is kind of the team setting up the fan base for that possibility by kind of dragging the player through the ringer a little bit. And I really hadn't seen that from Baltimore. And this was the first kind of week that we saw that where very clearly it was coming out from them. That, uh, in fact, I, I think they said it, that um, every proposal they've gotten from Jackson basically sounds like it's the same proposal with a fully guaranteed deal, you know, however many years, however much money, um, you know, and that that's almost as if it's a non-negotiable starting point for them. That is, to me, kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit to where you're making it sound as if the player is being unreasonable. Um, that, that that doesn't mean that they're not going full full bore yet with just, you know, blowing it out of the park or anything like that. But that was, that was kind of the first thought that I had that they might be considering moving on, um, you know, from him and that you're kind of setting the stage that the reason this contract is not done is not their fault, that it's his fault, that he's just not being reasonable in... Um, coming to the negotiating table and trying to get a deal that works for both sides. And, you know, I, I've always been long in the mindset that the fully guaranteed stuff is really not going to happen for NFL players. Um, all you have to do is just just look at the history of these guys. But for a position it does make a little bit more sense for is the quarterback position. But you're not going to get that leverage to get that kind of contract really until you hit free agency. Certainly not on a first franchise tag. Maybe on a second franchise tag, and definitely if you're at the point where you're the third, you gain a lot of leverage in what you can and can't ask for from a team. But I don't think he's really at that point yet. So I don't know if he really has that leverage to gain that type of contract that he is um, he's hoping to get. But 
you know, it still could happen, especially if his heels are dug in on it and everything else. But I guess the question just kind of comes up, well, what do you do if you're the Ravens, if you don't think you can get a long-term deal done with him? So, you know, I think the logical solution that most come up with is that they're going to apply the exclusive franchise tag on him. Uh, The exclusive franchise tag is very expensive. At a minimum, it's going to be about $45 million for the year. And, uh, you know, that, that means his tag number next year would also be astronomical. Now... There's still a couple days to go. The franchise tag deadline is Tuesday. I really feel that the the Browns, maybe the Cowboys, they're intentionally holding back, restructuring some of their their quarterback contracts, kind of to stick it to the Ravens. Definitely the Browns. And the Browns should. I mean, it's the same division. Um, you know, it, it's a rival team. It, it's kind of a competitive advantage uh, by doing that. So the reason that I'm saying that is basically what happens is on the day that you apply the tag, the numbers that are included in the exclusive um, version of the franchise tag lock in. So right now, I think that's um, Watson, Mahomes, Prescott, Josh Allen, Ryan Tannehill. Even if those numbers drop after the tag deadline. So in other words, it, the Ravens will wait until Tuesday, you know, the last possible day. And let's say the, the Browns go in and they restructure that deal on um, uh, Wednesday or Thursday. It'll still count at that number that's like $55 million for the year, not the cap number that uh, comes from a restructure, which is probably going to be in the $30 million range. So, you know, that significantly increases the price. If other players come in and end up with a higher cap hit, that increases it further. Like, in other words, if Aaron Rodgers got traded and for some reason the team declined the option and his cap number jumped to $60 million, you would have that number that comes in there as well. The benefit for the Ravens in this case is if they can't do a long-term deal and they do decide they want to trade him, well, then they have the ability to ask for a lot of draft compensation. So they can do the Watson package. You know, you can get three first-round picks. If you wait until draft day, you could probably get four. So it gives you a lot of leeway. He's not free to negotiate with any teams. So basically what you would be saying is, okay, look, we'll agree to trade. You go out there and you sell yourself to five teams around the league the way Watson did. We'll come to a trade agreement. If we can agree on a trade, you can go and deal with them. So that that would be one of the reasons to use the exclusive tag. The negative on it for the Ravens is just the cost is very high. So if for some reason there is no trade partner, and I do believe there would be a trade partner, but um, depending on how long that that process takes, you know, they, they might have to carry a very big cap hit once that locks in, which I think is April 15th. Um, you know, until that point in time, I guess they carry him at the regular franchise tag number, which is about 32 then it's going to jump to 46. So, you know, that that's a big placeholder you have to have on your salary cap during this period of time, but it does extend your your trade window. The the thing is, I've I've been reading over the rules a little bit more, and unfortunately, I couldn't get any clarity on it from any kind of past examples. And I didn't want to go ask people. I, I figured everyone's busy with the combine anyway. Looking at the language in the CBA, I'm not going to pull up the direct language right now, and just using some examples for my own franchise tag calculations, it sure seems like if you're a player who's been traded, um, excuse me, you're 
prorations from existing contracts should carry over. And if that is actually the case, that exclusive tag is actually going to be higher than what I'm projecting it at and everybody else's. And I, and I don't know if this is, this is the case or not the case, but if it is the case, you know, you, you're going to take an extra, I don't know, maybe $6 million and add it on to um, uh, Watson's number because he was traded over from Houston and there was existing prorated money that was in that deal. When you, you go, the, the bigger one is Matt Ryan, who right now, you know, he hasn't been released. He's got a 35 number. And Matt Ryan, you know, he had a ton of prorated money that was in that deal from Atlanta. So again, you know, you would think that that should count kind of towards his cap number. Um, let me just look at his Atlanta stuff because it was high. Yeah, you'd be adding an extra $15 million onto his cap number. So that would put Matt Ryan basically up to about a $50 million cap charge. And you'd be dropping Kirk Cousins at 36-6 out from it. So, I mean, now you might be looking when you, you get into that, and I'm not going to sit here and do the math on it, but maybe you're looking at a tag that's $50 million instead of 46, which is, you know, significantly higher. But when I went back and I looked at the couple of players who have gotten the exclusive tag, I just couldn't figure out if there were any trades that impacted that. Because remember, this concept of trading expensive players is kind of something new. Um, we don't have a lot of history with it. So, you know, if that number is even higher, that that's going to put more pressure on Baltimore to figure out a way to trade him right away um, rather than carrying him at that number or really just dealing with a, a massive, massive, massive salary cap charge, um, you know, that, that that's going to be sitting there for them. So the other option is they can go the more affordable route. So if they were to go the non-exclusive tag, uh, that number is, I think, 32.5 for this year. Let me look that one up. 32.4. If they do that, that kind of puts, in terms of a long-term contract, that gives them a lot more leverage because now your 120% raise is based on the 32.4. So, you know, that would be a 32.4 times 1.2. You know, next year's salary would be 39 million. The franchise tag itself might even be a little bit higher. It depends on how the how the numbers change year over year. I think we have it listed on our site as 42, but there, there's something that's not right there. Some of the numbers didn't look like they made sense to me. I got to go back in there and uh, recalculate the stuff uh, manually, and I'll see if we have something that's broken there. But in any event, you know, the, the numbers would be something like 32 and 40 versus what we're looking at now, which is going to be, you know, 45 and 54, or if it jumps to 50, you know, it'd be 50 and 60. That's a lot of leverage for Jackson. The other way around is a lot of leverage for the Ravens. The negative on those for the Ravens is number one, the max compensation they can get in a trade is a first and a two first round picks. So they can't go in there and they can't say, okay, well, we've got you on this tag. Now we're going to go and we're going to trade you still for three first-round picks. You can't do that. Uh, basically, you you are locked in at your max compensation being two first-rounders. And when we look at what teams have given up for viable quarterbacks, specifically Watson, which would be the closest comparable, you, know, you should be getting three first-rounders, maybe even four, if you were able to delay it to the day of the draft. The other negative that comes with the franchise tag 
is the franchise tag signing window doesn't end before the draft. So just because a player, let, let's say that, um, you know, he signs with, uh, you know, or he, I mean, he's out there, you, you're going to have him on that cap number 32-5. And let's say he doesn't come to an agreement with a team like the Dolphins, who don't have a first round pick this year, until three days after the draft you still may lose him to another team and you won't get any compensation until 2024. From a PR perspective, that'd be awful. Really losing him for two first round picks would be awful. So if you're going to use two first round picks on him, I'm sorry, if if you're going to use the non-exclusive tag, you're kind of daring somebody to sign him Basically saying, okay, negotiate the contract for us, and we're going to match it. It's almost like that. that's kind of what they're inviting, because I almost feel like if you do that, you're limiting your trade compensation so much that you're screwing up if you lose him. Now, could you still lose him? You probably could. It would have to be a ridiculous offer by a team like the Falcons where you would go in there and you would probably have to do something that would give Lamar Jackson a salary cap number of something like $75 million this year. You know, you, you would have to do a number that the Ravens can't do. Um, I don't know what that number would be. You know, right now they have, um, let me see where the Falcons are with cap space. Falcons are at... 67 million, give or take a little bit. And we'll get more clarity on the salary cap numbers in the next couple of days. We'll get the official adjustments. I just have some estimates in there, which might be good for some teams, might be really off for others. So, you know, they're not going to be like five, six, seven, eight million dollars off, but they could be a couple bucks here and there. You know, if I'm the Falcons and that's going to be my only move of the year, and maybe that would be the only move of the year. You know, you you go in there and you start restructuring your Matthews, your Jarrett's, all these guys to where you're going to create that cap room to where you can do that deal that has that salary cap number and the cash number so ridiculously high this year. Plus, you're going to do the fully guaranteed deal, Um, but you're going to have those numbers so high this year that they can't match it. Now, the only team that's done a contract like that that I can really recall with a quarterback was Jimmy Garoppolo. They, uh, the 49, uh, the 49ers, I mean, the 49ers were the team. Uh, they did that with Jimmy Garoppolo. It was a, I thought a kind of a unique deal where they really front loaded that salary cap charge in the first year, which was the year that they kind of considered that they were probably going to be down as a franchise. And as it turned out, I think he got hurt that year too. Um, you know, it was like, okay, if we take more of a cap hit this year, then during the, the, you know, rest of his contract, it's going to be relatively affordable. And I think that actually worked out pretty well for them. Now, the, the downside on that is you have to, the second year of the contract has to be at least 50% of the first. So if you did like an $80 million cap hit, your cap hit in year two also has to be at least $40 million. Um, so you sometimes you can't go all the way up. But I think in this case, especially when you're looking at the Falcons roster and you're seeing how kind of, void it is now that they finally got all that garbage off the books that's a team that can probably do that the bears could probably do it too but i I don't think the bears are really in the market for that um 
you know, for doing it. So I, I think that that would be the possibility as to the way that you would lose him. Now, they may very well say that any offer that's made will match it. We just don't think a team will give him a fully guaranteed deal. But the reality is, if he's available for two first-round picks, a team would do that if that's what was needed to get a deal done. I'm very confident in it. You know, if you are a free agent, it's a different story. That's how Kirk Cousins got his deal. That's how Watson got his deal. So I think the Ravens would really be inviting losing him if that's the case. So if they do that tag, um, if nobody signs him, I, I, I don't think the PA will really have a case, but I am sure you will have another collusion case that kind of pops out from that. Um, if they if somebody does sign him, I I would say there's ways to make a contract that you're going to lose him. And you're going to come out of that looking bad because instead of getting the haul that Houston got or that uh, Seattle got or any of these teams got that traded these quarterbacks away, you're going to come out of it with two players. And, you know, that that's not good either. So I still think they'll put the exclusive tag on him. Um but it's a it's an interesting situation to watch. And if that exclusive tag is bigger, if it is the higher number that I'm thinking of, you know, that I can understand why that's a reason for them to have pause on it. Um, just because, again, the numbers are so high and that gives even more leverage to him because of those cash figures in the second year. It's not the figure this year. You know, as long as they can make the cap room, it's not the figure this year. It's the figure next year that really screws you over. Um, when you're well above the regular franchise tag. So I would guess that the decision on this is not going to come down until 4 p.m. on Tuesday. I think it's the deadline. Uh, I am sure I will be taking my daughter to dance practice. So whenever I get home, I'll probably write a post with some thoughts about it. Uh, but I would guess that's, um, that's how it would be. Uh, the other interesting quarterback news, I guess, is whatever Daniel Jones is looking for. Uh, I've seen a lot of numbers that have been thrown out. The first set of numbers that I read was that uh, he's looking for $45 million a year on a long-term deal. Then there was another one that says the starting point was $48 million a year on a long-term deal. The Giants would be crazy to sign Daniel Jones on a contract that begins with the number four. Unless that four is followed by a decimal point. We're talking about $4.0 million. Anything that is above $40 million a year would be absolutely insane for them to do. Now, there are ways to sugarcoat the numbers. That That's different. But I'm talking about if they are doing a legitimate type of deal, that would be $40 million a year. You know, the, the Dak Prescott style. You know, Dak Prescott got uh, $75 million maybe his first year. Some, some crazy number. If that is the kind of contract the Giants are getting themselves into... That 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 to me doesn't make sense. Um, Daniel Jones showed some progress this year. It's not that he didn't. The team responded to him. Um, seems like a nice enough kid. Uh, works hard. Tries hard. Tremendous athlete. You know he makes a lot of plays with his legs, and you know that that I think ignites the team. Can ignite the fan base at times because you know they're. they're they're kind of plays where you're out there and, you know, you really look like you're giving it your all uh, when you do some of those things, especially if you take a hit doing it. But 
the numbers right now just do not back that up. And when your option is to tag a player like that at 32-5, if they're looking for 40, 45, 50, you know, you, you've got to just tag them. Now, if he comes back this year and he has a great season, he's playing better as a passer, and, you know, the price increases, let's say it increases to 52, 53, I'm cool with that. You know, because I I would rather know that my guy seems more of a lock. And I'm, and I'm saying from 48 to 52. I'm not, I'm not talking about from 40 to 52. I, I would say if 40 is the number you're talking about, that number would probably increase to like a 46, a 45. And again, I'm fine with that. It's an extra $5 million a year, $6 million a year, and whatever on that guarantee. I'd rather have more certainty in that than I would in just simply handing over a contract right now that's, say, $43 million a year and is going to carry close to $100 million in guarantees to where, $100 million fully guaranteed, to where, you know, if he goes back to being the Daniel Jones of before and he gets hurt and whatever else that, you know, basically you're stuck with a giant paperweight. You know, th- this is exactly what happened to Philadelphia with Carson Wentz. It's exactly what happened to the Rams with Jared Goff. It's what happened to a number of these teams that have done these very ambitious co- uh, contracts for quarterbacks who really, I don't know, you know, ha- haven't really stood out one way or the other. So if I'm the Giants, this this to me is just a, a situation that screams use the franchise tag or use the transition tag. I mean, if you just want to be able to match an offer, because would you downgrade the Giants if the Giants say, instead of Daniel Jones, they had Derek Carr? How how much would you downgrade the Giants? I don't know if I'd really downgrade them that much. Now, Jones is more capable of making plays, um, you know, with his legs than Derek Carr is ever going to be. But beyond that, you know, I, I I would say at the worst, it's a push. And if one guy comes for 30, I'd rather sign Carr for 30 or 32 or 35 than, you know, Jones at 45. Um, you know, now I do think if they got him on a fairer number, I do think a nice compromise point that might be they might be willing to consider. Let's say you did a two-year deal would actually be as a formality, you make the Giants apply the franchise tag to Jones first. And this way that when Jones's next deal is up, um, you know, say it's a two-year deal or even a three-year deal, and let's say he's playing really well. When that deal is up, you know, the franchise tag at that point, you'd be looking at that number that's the 120%. So that might make his number significantly higher than the regular franchise tag. And at the worst, it only locks you into one more tag because then the third tag would be, you know, very cost prohibitive because of the the giant raise that would be associated with that third franchise tag. So I would actually say that that would be a nice little um, compromise point on a deal, like a shorter term deal. But I think the problem is that the Giants are looking to get a deal done with Daniel Jones so they can tag Saquon Barkley. Because I think getting Barkley to agree to the uh, Derrick Henry Aaron Jones deal is probably a little bit more complicated and you know that that's probably where they're they're leaning where they would like to use their franchise tag is have both guys back but use that tag on the running back and you know that that can't be there if you're going to just do it as a formality for Jones so I don't know if the Giants would even put that on the table 
as a discussion because of what they're looking to do. Um, but I, I, I would guess that, you know, th- there's ways you can bloat a number to 40. And I, I'm fine with that. You know, I talked about that with Geno Smith. Now, if you sign a deal that's 32, 33, 34, you know, whatever it is over two-year period, and the guarantee is basically the franchise tag plus a couple million more next year, you know, I would look at that and say, okay, that's reasonable because if the player is no good next year, I'm only going to have a couple million in guarantees that I got to pay him and I can bring his salary down if I want to keep him on the team. Um, you know, and you throw incentives in there that can bloat the number to 40 or 45. And if he, if he hits them, great, more power to him. You know, that that's what we want to have happen. So, you know, I think that's a reasonable compromise point. Doing just a, a straight four-year, five-year deal, I, I just don't, I don't see the logic in that. That that just makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, other Giants news, and I'll just bring it up. I have an article on the site about it. You know, the Giants are going to cut uh, Kenny Galladay, no big surprise. And um, they're going to wait until March 15th to do it. And some people were posting, like, they're doing that to save more cap room. And no, that that's just not the case. And that this is why the Rams are holding off on Bobby Wagner. This is why the Browns are holding off on Johnson. Um, This is why there's a couple other rumored ones where they have to hold off. It's because the players have guaranteed salaries in their contract for 2023. Technically, we're still in the 2022 league year. So that money on a guarantee, unlike a proration, accelerates into 2022. No team has cap room in 2022. So they have to wait until 2023 officially begins on March 15th at, uh, I think the first day the the waivers come out at midnight, so I think they have to wait until midnight to release them, I think. Um, That's why, uh, yeah, I think it's that. I think it's midnight that day. Um, That is why those players are, you know, you're holding off until that day. Uh, The the Browns one is not. The the Browns one is they're going to designate him a June 1. Sorry, I screwed that one up. But for the players that have the guarantees in their contracts, that's why. The only way to avoid that is by restructuring the contract before you cut him. So Galladay's guarantee, I think, is a 4-5 roster bonus. You know, you could pay him a 4-5 signing bonus and let that prorate out. Then when you cut him, it would all accelerate into 2023 rather than having to worry about stuff in 2022. But you would lose your offset on that. So I don't know if Galladay will actually sign with another team. But if he does, you know, the Giants would get about $1 million, $1.1 million in cash and cap relief um, that would come on the come off the books next year. So you want to keep that option open. And they, they don't, you know, they, they have plenty of cap room. So it's not like they have to push forward uh, on making that decision quicker. But that's why there is that delay and why these teams are announcing some of these players who are going to be released. But the waiting time is until June 1st. Um, The other one that I'll mention here, because I don't think he's on my cut list, which we'll go over in just a minute. Um, And I guess I should have put him on. I did not put on the list of players here that are what I call formality cuts. So a formality cut is when you have a contract that's designed to release a player. So in other words, um, Jadavion Clowney in Cleveland, his contract is structured to where they have no choice but to June 1 him uh, on March 15th. Michael Thomas with the Saints is the same way. Uh, The Eagles have Kelsey, maybe Brandon Graham, you know, a couple of players like that. 
that they have the ability to do that with J.J. Uh, Watt in Arizona. The player I didn't put on it was Rodney Hudson. And the only reason I'm even remembering this is because Pro Football Talk put out an article today about how he might retire. And now he has $2.05 million in non-guaranteed salary. Rodney Hudson is not playing next year for $2 million. Okay. Rodney Hudson restructured his deal at the end of last season, just like J.J. Watt did, um, basically saying, I'm going to retire or you guys are going to cut me as a June 1, you know, one or the other. And I'm reducing my salary from whatever the number was, 10 million, 12 million, 9 million, I don't know, to 2.05. The 2.05 million is significant because that's the amount of money that's the max that can be injury protected, um, you know, per CBA rules. So if Hudson is still hurt and he finished last year on IR, if he's still hurt and the Cardinals have to cut him, they will still owe him that $2.05 million. So that's why, unlike J.J. Watt, who I, I believe dropped his salary all the way down to the minimum, which is $1.165 because he, was, he wasn't injured at the time, Hudson's, because he was injured, needed to protect himself. So his agent wisely made sure that that number would be the 205 because your salary, your P5 is protected up to 2.05 million. You know, that that's the max it can be. So that's why that number is there. I didn't understand why Michael Thomas didn't do that. Now, I think Michael Thomas is going to earn a $200,000 roster bonus no matter what. So, I mean, he is going to get some money on, on the way out. But I was a little surprised that he didn't get that um, in there to protect him because he's been basically injured all the time. Um, but, you know, I didn't put that one in there. And the only reason I'm bringing it up now was because I saw it on PFT as an article today. And, you know, sometimes things get overblown. And the intention on that contract is not to have him play for $2 million. You know, no, no more than in Philadelphia, uh, whatever Kelsey's salary is this year. The intention is not to have him play on that number. All right, the intention is to uh, basically say you're going to retire or we're going to extend you probably. I mean, they could cut him too, but uh, it would be doing an extension. So anyway, if we just look around the league, um, you know, th these are some of the players who I think are probably going to be released. So you got Frank Clark in Kansas City. That's $21 million in cap savings. And by released, I also mean that you, know, you may get a deal where you renegotiate the player's contract to bring their salaries down. Um, you know, th that that's kind of the same thing. Clark had that happen last year. Uh, Khalil Mack with the Chargers, you know, that they, they, to me, that was a one-year move. Um, I think it was a move that was fine to make. Now, I, I think you look at that cap number at 27-4. You'd save 18-4 if you released him or if you traded him. I think that makes more sense than just going in there and doing a restructure. Now, I wouldn't say that this is a lock that they're going to cut him. Um, you know, you, you might just still be chasing something there. But I, I think that um, that number is just way too big for what he's giving you at this point in his career. And I think you move on. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, I think um, they save about $18 million if they cut him. But I think the way they would look at this is that there's value... Basically, if you have all these teams looking to trade for a quarterback right now, you got the Jets looking for a quarterback, you have the Saints looking for a quarterback, you have the Panthers somehow looking for a quarterback. Um, you know, I don't know why they're just not drafting, but that maybe where they where they are, they're they're not certain they're going to get someone. There is probably a good chance that you're going to have somebody kind of left at the altar. Um, you know, Carr goes to the Saints. 
Jets think they're going to get Rodgers. Rodgers does something. It's like, well, I don't want to go play in New York. Um, You know, and you're left with nobody then. Tannehill becomes an option to a team like that. And you might be able to get significantly more for someone like a Tannehill than you really ever thought you were going to get. He doesn't have any guarantees for the year. So, I mean, they, they can drag that out until August, see if somebody gets hurt. Um, and then kind of go from there. So while I do think he's a cut possibility, I don't think he's a cut possibility right now. Uh, I think that'll be later on. Matt Ryan with the Colts. I don't think there's any trade value there. I think they're just going to hope that they can bring his number down and say, hey, look, you know, maybe you'll get to start this year and you can tutor a younger player because uh, they do owe him a good amount of money. I don't know. I, I They'd have to get him to waive. The rest of his salary becomes guaranteed. Um, you know, so they probably have to get him to waive that. But, uh, you know, I, I could see some stuff there. Carl Lawson on the Jets would save them 15-4. Keenan Allen on the Chargers would save 14-8. Now, they said no. Um, it, it's Keenan Allen's number at 21-7 is too high. So I would think if you're keeping Keenan Allen, that's a definite pay cut candidate. Uh, Thompson with the Panthers, they save 13. That's a no-brainer. Uh, Shaquille Griffin with the Jaguars, I think that's a no-brainer as well. You open up 13. You saw the Jaguars this past week made a lot of moves to get salary cap compliant. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to try to be active or as active as they can be and just maximize whatever they can with Lawrence. Uh, Jackson on the Steelers, 12. That's a no-brainer. Leonard Williams on the Giants, uh, that's probably going to be more of a pay cut. They would open up 12 by releasing him. He's got a $32.3 million cap hit. Makes no sense at all. Uh, bloated contract, overpaid right from the start. He's belongs with the run stuffers, you know, salary-wise. You know, 13 14 15 million a year. Um, I think they'll look to get some kind of compromise point there. Uh, Robbie Anderson with the Cardinals, that's a no-brainer. I don't know why that hasn't happened yet. Glasgow with the Broncos, I would think that's a no-brainer. They open up 11. Hunter Henry with the Patriots is interesting. Uh, they would open up 10-5. I think that makes sense. Even though he's more productive than Jonu Smith, they did an awful, awful, awful deal with Jonu Smith. So they're locked into that one. So I would think Henry would be the odd man out. Corey Davis, uh, I think no matter what, you're bringing his salary down. I, I think a lot of their, a lot of what happens there depends on who they get as a quarterback. If they get Aaron Rodgers, I think they would keep Corey Davis. Uh, they would probably try to convince him to play for a little bit less money, but is what it is. Uh, Donovan Smith in Baltimore would open up uh, in Tampa Bay would open up close to ten. Um, you know, I think he's a player that they can use uh, if he's healthy. I think the problem is that their cap situation is so bad. Uh, Leonard Fournette's another one there that uh, because of the guarantee stuff, he, they have to wait until the new league year to release him. Um, you know, I, I think the salary cap savings might be something they they would need. Uh, we got Ronald Darby with the Broncos that would open up about nine seven. Uh, Tyron Smith with the Cowboys. I'm going to be sad to see this contract go. They save nine six. He can't really stay healthy anymore. This is the longest running contract in the NFL. This contract was signed in 2014. There is not another player in the league that has a contract that's active, I believe, that was signed um, anytime before 2017. 
I mean, that this this deal has withstood the test of time. It was a great contract that Dallas did. Um, you know, they've pushed money, but it stayed well within market. This is a this this was a great one by the Cowboys. This is this is one of the great team contracts in NFL history. And I know he's been hurt a lot recently. Um, th- this is one of the great deals. We had uh, Jerry this week crying poor. Speaking of the Cowboys. It's hard with Dak. He needs to take a Brady kind of contract. Come on, man. Just come on. You know, I I get that they're probably not thrilled, maybe with him uh, at times with some of the stuff, but you know, you, you just look at some of the players you've drafted and some of the other positions that you've signed. I mean, it, that's the issue, and it's not like you can't. It's not like you're coming off a bad year. It's just weird. The, the way they've acted with some of that stuff. Uh, Kendricks on the Vikings saves 9-5. Bud Dupree saves 9-4. He has a $1 million guarantee this year, so that's why they have to wait. That's why he wasn't part of all those other uh, cuts. Shelby Harris in Seattle, it's a possibility. He would save 9. I think Adoree Jackson's a possibility with the Giants that would save 8-6. Kenny Moore with the Colts would save about 8. DeAndre Hopkins, he's going to save about 8. Um, they'll probably trade him or look to trade him. Um... I don't know if they really want to carry that cap number until after June. Um, you know, it's a 37.5. I, I think they can lower that if it's a two-year. Um, pretty sure he has two years under contract left. Uh, let me just look up Hopkins. Yeah, Hopkins has 23.24. So, I mean, they, they could lower it that way if they wanted to. Um, now, I, I if I were them, I, I would probably get on the phone with the Browns, see what you can get from Cleveland, um, you know, try to reunite him with Deshaun Watson and, you know, see see if he can make something work there. Uh, I think Trent Brown on the Patriots, a possibility. Miles Jack, Mitch Trubisky, both on the Steelers. Uh, then you get into the Lions, you know, Quara that saves 7-5. Uh, Michael Davis on the Chargers is 7-4. Harrison Smith is about 7-4. Joe Mixon on the Bengals saves 7-3. That was a bad... They, they shouldn't have done that deal. Uh, Jordan Whitehead on the Jets saves 7-3. They might go in a different direction at safety. Uh, Valdez Scantling with the Chiefs would save 7. Calias Campbell, if they're really in cap trouble, he would save 7. Uh, Galladay, we know, is going to go. That's a 6-7 saving. C.J. Mosley will probably just get re... They'll do a new deal, I think. Uh, Vitae on the Lions, you know, 6-5 savings, but you save a lot of cash, I think, for the year. So uh, I would say that that's a player that's moved on. Gabe Jackson in Seattle, I think, makes sense to move on. Jenkins with the Jaguars probably makes some sense. Thielen with the Vikings. Like Harrison Smith, he's been there forever, so maybe they just look to bring those salaries down. Um, you know, uh, let's see. Who are some other players that I have on here that stand out rather than going through it? So we got Devontae Parker. Uh, Lyle Collins on the Bengals. You know, the Bengals don't usually bolt on players, but that contract was kind of structured that way. Hearing some escalators in there, I, I don't know. I, I could see them just looking to go in a different direction. Uh, Chase Edmonds, I think Dalvin Cook, though he did get himself a uh, salary guarantee, and I might have this number wrong here. I'm not positive if I did. Um, he's hurt right now because he opted for a surgery, so and I'm not sure. I, I just looked that up. Um, white hair, Bakhtiari, you know, that that's going to be up to the Packers. He's not, Bakhtiari, even though he's always hurt, is not going to go anywhere if Rodgers is still on the team. 
if Rodgers leaves the team, I don't know if they're going to keep him. You know, you can't have him at a $29 million cap number. Uh, to me, that's crazy. And I don't know if he's really wants to redo his deal and play for less. Uh, you know, I, I almost think that's a deal where you're like, you know, why don't you go follow Aaron somewhere? Um, you know, if they decide to blow those things up. Uh, Kendrick Bourne, Patriots, saves 5-5. Five, five. Logan Thomas, 5-2. Andre James would save five. Bobby Wagner, they've already announced that one. That saves five. Braxton Berrios saves five million. Casey Hayward on the Falcons would save five million. Dwayne Brown on the Jets, he'll probably be back, but that would save about five. Jalen Mills in New England. Zeke in Dallas, they will probably just redo his contract, bring his salary down for the year. Um, you know, just kind of push it out. Uh, James Hurst on the Saints, if they need to make cap room to sign somebody, and then I think they would sign him back, uh, you know, maybe take his salary down a little bit. Um, Jameis Winston on the Saints, I guess they're waiting to make sure they can sign a quarterback uh, before they, they opt to cut him. Um, Byron Jones in Miami, you know, he's hurt. He basically put out a statement ripping the Dolphins medical, so... I'm going to guess there's going to be a grievance that's there. And uh, obviously he'll he'll qualify for some injury protection. So I think they'll tread carefully. Um, Leonard Floyd on the Rams, I think it's possible. Uh, who are some other names here? Nick Foles, Cameron Brait, um, Andres Pete, But he's going to be a June 1 in New Orleans, I would think. A Roby in New Orleans. Cedric Wilson, um, Johnson I put down, even though that's not much savings, but since they announced it, I figured I'd put it down. Uh, overall, the teams that can create the most cap room here, you have the Jets, um, if they followed all these moves, which they won't, you know, you would create about $50 million, the Chargers, which might be more likely, but probably not since they, they seem definitely set on keeping Allen, would be 45 New England would be next at creating $35 million in cap space. I look at those cuts as probably being a little more realistic. Pittsburgh's, I think, are kind of realistic, too, at 35. Indianapolis, around 30. Um, you know, one of the names I thought about putting on there is a, but it would be more of a trade, and I didn't really put the trade guys. That'd be Buckner, um, you know, if they decided to go in, you know, just a different direction that way. You know, Brandon Cooks in Houston fits in that same mold, but, you know, th those are trade possibilities. And uh, in Cooks's case, it might not even happen until you know, the summer and, you know, they, they're going to have to eat some of that money. Minnesota, about 30 million. The Chiefs could create about 28. Um, Giants, about 27. Titans, 27. Broncos, 26. Uh, there's a couple teams that were there that didn't have anybody that was listed. I think the Eagles didn't have any players, but that's because I'm not doing those June 1 guys because uh, we already have them listed as free agents, and that's not really going to save any cap room, um, you know, when they do June 1 them. You know, because they're all at minimum salaries anyway. Uh, but I think it was the Eagles, the Texans, I don't think had anybody. Might have been one other team I'm not thinking of. Uh, you know, least amount that's going to be created, the Browns, Falcons, Raiders, Packers, Dolphins, Rams, Bills. You know, and you, you might see a couple of these teams do a June 1 to where they create some money later on. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's the uh, that's the gist of it. So... You know, I think that's the list. There's going to be some other guys because, you know, you, you always get a couple of surprise releases um, every year. And th there's different times when you see those surprise releases. Some of them happen after the draft, you know, once you get somebody. And that's why I always say that, you know, you should 
as a veteran player, you should always look to get some kind of certainty in March, even if it's like a $500,000 roster bonus, $1 million roster bonus, just something that um, at least means you're going to get a parting gift if the team decides to, uh, to drop off. All right, let's take a look at some podcast questions that we have here. And hopefully I didn't, let's see, 18th. Okay, I did that one. Okay, Matt. A uh, question about the New Orleans Saints and the salary cap held they're in. Some of their cap numbers are dead money for 2023. They look absolutely horrific. Uh, I don't think I did this one before. If you were the Saints GM, would you advocate a year or two salary cap clean out where you let all the guaranteed money wash over the cap and suck for a year and roster rebuild so quick in the NFL nowadays that there's no uh, reason to tear it down and do it again? Uh, what implications does the Alvin Kamara case have for him and his contract automatically void or is it a case of guaranteed money uh, all erased? Um, so... Oh, Matt's from Australia. Look at that. Uh, if I didn't touch on this one before. Um, so I'll start with Alvin Kamara. So basically, he has a very small guarantee for the year. I would guess that's already voided. Um, but everything else is basically something they have to wait for. So I, I did an interview this week on one of the uh, New Orleans radio stations. Maybe it's WRL? Uh, I forget. Um, I, I try and do their show once every year or two, and usually it's pretty good. Uh, they, they're always very realistic with the, the Saints stuff. Um, for Kamara, you know, the, the best situation for the Saints at that point is you just sit and wait for the league to make a determination as to what's going to happen. Um, you know, if the league determines that he's really not going to miss any time, then you go in, you restructure the deal, and, um, you know, save yourself some cap that way. Or if you've decided to move on, you wait until after June to release him. Uh, if he gets suspended, you know, you'll get credit on your cap come September. If he got suspended for the whole year, you'd get uh, credit for the whole season, but, uh, you know, the whole off season. But more likely, um, you know, it would be a partial suspension, I would guess. And so you would get credit on the cap come uh, September. So not only would you save however many weeks he's suspended for, um, you know, divide that by 18 times his base salary. But you would probably also save, I, I don't know if he has any workout bonus money. Um, yeah, you might save on that. And you might be able to pull back some of his signing bonus money that he's already been paid um, based on any kind of suspension from the NFL. So you might be able to get salary cap relief that way. So I think they would wait and let the whole process play out um, versus doing anything else. I mean, you, you could go in there and try to bring his numbers down and say, you know, we're not going to hold you. If you lose anything, we'll do a structure that, um, <clears throat> you know, basically is bonus heavy, um, you know, low salary. So the only thing you're losing is a, you know, let's say six weeks of very low base salary. And we're not going to claw back any signing bonus money, at least from this one, um, based on missing any time. So I, I think that's the thing. Uh, as for the year or two salary cap clean out, the problem for the Saints is the Saints can't do that anymore. The Saints have gone beyond like a point where that's even an option. Like if you look at what the Saints could create by cutting everybody, they wouldn't be salary cap compliant. So they've gone beyond the stage of being able to just say, all right, let's let's hit the emergency button and you know we're out of here. Now, I don't usually advocate for that. I, I'm not a I'm not actually a big fan of the teams that just tank it intentionally. And if you look historically, the teams that have done that, um, you know, with the hopes of creating all this cap room to have a monster season, you know, a big free agency that's going to lead to a big turnaround or, um, you know, the benefits in the draft, it doesn't work out. 
there's only two teams that have carried huge amounts of dead money where it's worked out for them. One was the Saints. Now, the Saints did it three years in a row, meaning the Saints carried a ridiculous amount of dead money. And I'm going to get the years wrong on this, but I think it was 2014, 2015, 2016. Um, it was the three years they went seven and nine. The dead money the Saints had was the equivalent of like one full season's worth of a salary cap. Okay. They came out of that and they had that great draft class and that really turned their fortunes around. So that was not an intentional one. The one that was intentional was the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills went in there in, oh man, what year was that? 2017? That Whatever year it was where they had to, you know, get rid of Darius and you had to get rid of Tyrod Taylor. And this might have been over two years, all right? They made a trade somewhere in there for Benjamin and, um, you know, they they had an insane amount of dead money. Not Raiders-esque, you know, circa 2013, but they had a crazy amount of dead money. And they were the one team that's been able to turn it around. Um, they were able to turn it around. I can't say because of Josh Allen, because Josh Allen at the beginning of the run was bad. And they were still making the playoffs. The Bills were striking gold in free agency. The The Bills, when you look at the way the Bills were built, and you look at the percentage of homegrown players that were on that roster, um, when you look at the contributions originally of some of those draft picks, it, it was not the same as some of these other teams that turned it around because of that. They were, they were getting capable production by finding veterans that were reasonably priced that really fit in very well with their scheme. They 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 did probably a better job than any other team in the NFL um, during that period of time. I think the Eagles do a very good job with this as well, but of identifying talent from other teams that would fit their schemes and that maybe wouldn't cost a ton and they would still fit their schemes and they could get the, the most out of them. They would maximize that capability. Now, I don't think that they would have been anything more than like a, you know, one and done team in the playoffs, you know, wild card type contender if Allen doesn't, you know, become a big star. But obviously now it's driven more by Josh Allen than, you know, a lot of their outside acquisitions. But they've done it in a different way. And they were a team that did kind of hit that hard reset as best they could. You know, they couldn't do that that first year they came in there just because of um, all the different issues. So it was really done over a two year period. But the the Saints the Saints are in a position where they can't do it. They just can't. I know everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people will point to COVID, which is valid. Like they were not thinking that COVID was obviously going to be there, but their position relative to the league is still the same. And no other team in the league has been even close to them in terms of uh, cap issues. All right. Uh, let's see. We've got Joe's got a question. Uh, how common do you think it is for general managers to come into the job with a strong vision and take a long-term uh, team-building approach and only be shot down by ownership and giving a mandate to stay competitive? Uh, this is basically about Minnesota. Uh, best course of action. He doesn't think they're the best course of action. Basically the same as what Spielman did. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that's, that's accurate. I, I think that... Um, Sometimes you come in there with maybe a thought and then things go in a different direction. Now, here's the thing that I'll say in his defense. If he got that job, um, well, I mean, he obviously got the job. When he got the job, I mean, he probably had to show a vision that the owner would have liked. 
So I'm going to guess that what he laid out was probably something similar to what you saw last year. Um, now, maybe maybe that is what he felt the owner wanted to hear. And so that's what he was going to do. And he may have looked at it where what I just talked about with the Saints. You know, I'm not crazy about, um, you know, just ripping things apart and, um, you know, changing stuff around. Uh, you know, so I, I think maybe that was part of it. I think... You know, I'm going to say this about Minnesota, and I didn't like some of the stuff they did. Um, You know, it it came across to me as like, okay, we're just going to blame this on the coach, and we're going to kind of keep doing the same stuff. I think one of the things that's important for job security, though, if you can come in and be competitive in your first year, even if you, you have to take a step back in that second year, I think that's beneficial for your long-term security because what you don't want to have happen as a coach, what you don't want to have happen as a general manager, unless the team is, you know, at the point of no return, you know, Chicago was at the point of no return. Atlanta was probably at the point of no return when those guys took over. Um, You want to have some kind of good feelings. And, you know, that, that goes a long way to keep people from calling for your job when things start going bad very quickly. I think the, the problem for Minnesota is Minnesota was too successful last year. You know, their record was way better than their performance level. You know, when you, you look at those little efficiency rankings um, that I put out, and this will track with all the same stuff that people do with uh, EPA or whatever else it is. You know, the Vikings were basically a team that should have won about nine games. And, um, you know, they didn't. They, they did better than that for whatever reasons that you want to say. It makes it very hard in what he may have thought was actually going to be the pullback year. It makes it very difficult now to pull back because you can't go from being like a 12-win team and just being like, okay, now is the time to blow it up. That's like the kiss of death. Even if you know that that's what you should do, um, I think that's a that's a tough one for you. So I think that they're just going to keep trying with this. I think what they have to avoid now is doing the Kirk Cousins extension. Uh, I think that would be the problem. And I, I think they've basically said that. Like, they see a different uh, time frame with Cousins than Cousins should want to see um, when doing a deal. But, yeah, I, I do think there is stuff that is ownership-driven that comes from general managers. But in this case, I have to believe that he he kind of gave that vision to him um, and saying, this is what we plan on doing. Zach, uh, I've heard that more cash-rich owners are able to take advantage of the cap by paying big signing bonuses if they're liquid enough to put the money into escrow. What I'm saying is that a lot of this can be seen as cash spending and cash-to-cap numbers. In some ways, it feels like it creates a bit of a competitive advantage for wealthier, more liquid owners, correct? And if so, are there ways for owners at the other end of the spectrum to make up the difference? Um... So, yeah, I mean, that that is true, but it doesn't always have to be signing bonus money. And signing bonus money sometimes can be deferred, actually, for a pretty long period of time. Like, we consider that cash um, always in the year that it's committed. But a lot of times it's paid out over the course of a full year, maybe even the two years, depending on the if it's an extension versus a free agent contract. But there are definitely teams that can pay more money up front uh, because they have more money to spend. And... You know, I I think one of the misconceptions around the NFL is that 
teams just have a blank check and they can do whatever they want. And maybe there there's some theory to that, but if you have, like, let's just say you own a business and let's say it's not as successful as the NFL, but let's say that you make as a business $200,000 a year and, you know, in profit and you're used to every year earning $200,000. It's very hard for someone to come in and say, oh, well, you're making 200, so you can easily redistribute 50, 100, 150,000 of that. And, you know, you can just come across making $50,000 in profit. That's that's very hard to do if you're planning on something. That That's, that's just natural. So, you know, to look at a team like, um, for example, the Bengals, and just say, well, you know, before the Bengals have any kind of stuff to come in, they get a blank check from the NFL for $400 million. I, I don't know what the, whatever the media number is. Um, you know, I, I forget from the Packers statements, whatever it is, you know, $200 million or something like that. You know, it, it's not that you just get that and it's like, oh, okay, well, we really don't have any other expenses. Our only expense is, you know, taking care of the players on the team. There are other expenses that go into it. And for all these teams, again, where you get into the cash-rich owners, even just going from a football budgeting perspective, you know, local revenues, which, you know, are not shared, those are basically going to stay with the home team, um, you know, but they impact the overall cap calculations. You know, a team like Dallas is going to make far more money than a team like Cincinnati. Um, You know, if you took all things as being equal and just said, okay, that media money is divided equally among 32 owners and, uh, you know, everyone's in the same position. Well, if Dallas makes an extra, say, $15 million in local revenue or $20 million in local revenue, I mean, that's one or two pretty good players where they're still making the same profit as the Cincinnati Bengals. So, you know, I, I think that it, it, it's it's not fair to just say, all these teams can write a blank check. Um, I just don't. I mean, I, I think that's just, you know, just the the natural way the business works. Now, there is a there is a different um, different way you look at it when you start looking at the valuations of these teams. That's something completely different. All right, and you know, I I think the players should fight for more, but you know, w- without getting it collectively bargained. Um, there are going to be differences. And I think you see that where you do have a handful of owners, especially right now, that are incredibly wealthy. And then you have some of the other teams that are more family-driven ownership where football is the main business. Football is the business. Football is how the people have made money. Uh, Football is how they've survived, how they live. And, you know, again... I'm not I'm not saying they don't make a lot of money. Obviously the owners make a lot of money. But when you when you get used to making a certain amount, um, you know, I, I think it's very difficult to just say, uh, okay, you don't need to make anything in order to keep up with, say, the Philadelphia Eagles who do spend a lot. Um, you know, I, I think there there's probably like a, a happy medium um that's somewhere in there. Uh, side note, I see that the current and future years data, data on your website I was wondering if a previous year's blah, uh, or if so, if I can get an idea on trends. Uh, no, we don't put them on there. I, I do a lot of stuff with those kind of things, consulting. 
you know, one of these days, I, I maybe this summer, uh, I'll see with Nick if we can do something on the premium side where we have all those old cash numbers in there. We throw up all the old cap tables. I got to see what's the easiest way to do that. So it's just not pulling a ton of memory on the server. Uh, I mean, we have our own server, but this time of year we get so much traffic. Uh, you know, other times of the year you won't, but you know, I, I just got to see what I guess is most feasible um, with doing that. And you know, the, the other problem that we have with any of it is we do work very hard to obtain the data that we get and to keep it accurate and doing our own math calculations and other things. Um, you know, to kind of keep everything going. And one of the negatives on it, um, you know, and we, we do a couple of private agreements with uh, some companies and some people to, uh, you know, do stuff with cap numbers, cash numbers. We do some stuff with people that are doing projects, whether it's for school, um, you know, just research and stuff like that. One of the problems is just kind of keeping the stuff so it doesn't just randomly show up as a big CSV download to update spo track i mean that that that's the bottom line with it um at least they have to come in and scrape the site you know physically or however they end up doing it, it depends on what gets blocked and what doesn't get blocked um that's that's really the main thing with it it's like i say it i don't care when you've got multiple salary cap sites and multiple people discussing it but it, it is kind of a pain when you're doing a lot of work and all you have is just watching the work that you do show up somewhere else. And, you know, somebody has more time to develop, uh, you know, to, to, to utilize that to work on, um, you know, developing just different types of user interface to use it with or trying to commercialize it and sell it, um, you know, or do commentary on it when it's not anything... <laughs> That they've, you know, taken any time to, well, I shouldn't say any time, but, you know, it, less time than we do to uh, to try to pull that stuff out. Kevin, um, oh, nope, sorry. This is uh, something else, not a podcast thing. So this is one of the, uh, one of the different things here. Uh, let's see, here is Tony. Um, a big fan of the podcast. <laughs> I, I know you like to talk about going to Disney. Um <laughs> We plan on going there. What's your favorite place to stay at Disney World? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I do talk about that every now and then. My uh, the wife and kids enjoy going. I, li I like going to Disney, too, so I can't say that I don't. I, I enjoy going to Epcot. Um, I, I like my uh, drinks around the world in Epcot. Um, Disney's fun. Um, you know, we stayed a couple of places there. I mean, my, my, my favorite place to stay, I think, is Boardwalk. I, I like the location of that. I like the... Uh, um, distance it is, I guess, to Epcot or to Hollywood Studios. Um, you know, from there, a lot of food options that are right on the boardwalk, I think, that are pretty good. Uh, the pool is fine. The kids seem to like it. Um, I know Beach Club has, like, a pool that they like, uh, that a lot of people like um, over there. So, I mean, I, I can see why people would like that. But uh, for our family, I, I think that's the best location. Um, it's not the lowest cost place. So, I mean, that, that's a negative with it. Um, but you know, it's fun. I mean, if you, if you have little kids and you can spend up to stay at one of the magic kingdom places, you know, I'm, I'm sure the, those places are probably best for you, uh, because little kids, I think love magic kingdom. Um, you know, so that, that becomes like a nice place to go to. And, 
yeah, all the, all the places there are pretty nice. Um, you know, even if you, you have to go down, and we, we've stayed at the, uh, you know, we've gone there before, and we've stayed at the, um, um, you know, the All-Stars that are there. Uh, you know, everything is, everything is basically fine. It just depends on what you like to do. But for me, personally, I, I would choose the boardwalk. Um, it's where we stay, and that's where we'll be staying when we go again. We're doing a split at... Uh, Polynesian for a couple of days and we'll see how that is. I've never stayed there before. And uh, then we'll go back over to Boardwalk after that for a couple of days. Uh, Joseph. Um... Oh, no, this is actually just a podcast <laughs> request to go on there. I'll take a look at this, Joe, and I'll, I'll see if uh, it's something I can, I can work out with my schedule. Uh, Kevin, wondering if teams flush with cap space could sign a view. A few big-ticket free agents heavily front-load their contracts and make a more appealing trade assets down the road. That allow terrible teams to weaponize cap space by turning it into draft picks for the future instead of typically overplaying mediocre players and free agency on the back-loaded deals. Sure. Um, there are ways that you can do that with uh, signing bonuses, um, you know, however you want to do it, and it wouldn't make it look like you were picking up some of the bill, maybe, depending on how much that dead money would be that's in there. But you could do that. Um, you know, if you're a team, but just the, the one thing that I mentioned before, that 50% down rule, meaning whatever cap charge you put this year, you have to have that cap number the next year be at least 50% of it. So, you know, you just have to take that into account uh, when you structure the contracts. But you could do that. You know, I always said, wouldn't it be interesting? Um, and this has never happened, but wouldn't it be interesting if you were a team that didn't have cap room? Like, uh, let's say this year, a team that did not have cap space would be, I'm not going to pick on New Orleans because they, they always fit in that regard. But uh, let's say the, let's say the Bills, you know, the Bills probably aren't going to have a lot of cap room this year. No, I don't think the Bills would do this because the, the Bills envision themselves as, I think, a team that's going to be competitive, but they want to make sure that they do some stuff for the future. But let's say the Buffalo Bills had their eyes on a free agent. But the Bills only have, let's say, $7 million in cap space. And they know they can't craft a contract that makes any sense for that player. Wouldn't it be kind of cool if the Buffalo Bills went to the Chicago Bears and said, look, we got this player we want. I don't, I don't know what player it would be. You know, there's no real good free agents this year. Um, you know, but let, let's just say that they, uh, they, they identified a player that they wanted. And let's say it's Hargrave or something like that. Uh, let's say he's going to cost $15 million a year, $16 million a year. I've seen some people throughout 20 Maybe it'll cost 20 a year. Um, and they say, look, we can sign him, but we can't pay him $20 million this year. There's just no way. We can only pay him $10. Um, you know, we, we can fit his cap number in at like, um, you know, six million dollars and we can only afford to pay him 10 wouldn't that be something if you go to chicago and you say look what if you paid him a 10 million dollar signing bonus and we have a uh you know that a mechanism in there to bring that um number down with a option that's due in the summer or some kind of guaranteed roster bonus that's due in april you know something like that and you sign him as a free agent and we'll give you a third round pick. Or we'll give you a second round pick 
for paying $10 million of his contract that we couldn't afford. That, that's probably worth like a third round pick nowadays. But let's say that's what it is. I think that would be an absolutely awesome avenue to explore if I was a general manager. If I am a team that was flush with cap room, I would love to go around to the teams that don't have it and say, look, what if you you talk with this player that you want will basically be an intermediary to prepay part of his first year salary. We'll sign the deal that you you want to do with him. It'll be our contract, but we're ne- you're negotiating it basically. You're just going to give us the terms. We're going to put it in our format. And you're going to give us a, a draft pick for basically giving you $10 million that you can use on the player. I think that would be awesome for free agency. Never happened. Probably never will happen. Who knows? Maybe the league would uh, put a stop to it. But I think that would really be cool if um, if teams were willing to do that. All right. Let's go to Twitter for some questions here. Uh, let's see. All right. So we'll start with the thing from last night. And then we'll go from there. Let's see how long this goes. Okay. Sorry, getting to the end. Well, that's a content warning there. We're not going to click on that one. More of these have been popping up on Twitter. Uh, Black Gold, what are the long-term ramifications of a Rodgers deal? Does it basically mean guys like Beckton and Moore and DJ Reed would have no place in 2025? No, the Rodgers deal is... Gosh, you know, it it would really depend on what he was looking to do long-term. Um... So Beck, I, I can't picture Beckton having a future. All right, that, that's that's just number one. But um, you know, for guys like DJ Reed, I don't think so. You know, I, I guess the the way that you would look at it is if Rogers was going to be a two year and done or a one year and done, um, yeah, that that probably does hit a reset. But in terms of the money, um, I think you can keep all these guys. You know, I, I think you can. Um, you know, I think the, the Becton one, that, that's more of a he's always hurt kind of deal. I think the other guys you can keep. Um, you can keep extending them if you want. I mean, it's so far out, it's hard to say. But I think if you trade for Aaron Rodgers, um, your only concerns are really just going to be what what is his plan year over year to remain with the team. And if he does want to leave in 2025, is he willing, and he wants to keep playing, is he willing to play ball contractually to let you June 1 him? Um, you know, I think if you do that, you're, you're fine keeping your roster. But my feeling is it, once Rodgers goes, you're, you're kind of resetting anyway. Connor, are the Jaguars insane to be thinking about paying Juwan Taylor? Not necessarily because he's a bad player, but because that would mean they're paying a top dollar to a left, a right, a right tackle, and a right guard. Um, no, and the only reason I say that is because my assumption is this is the last year Cam Robinson is going to be there. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, you, you would probably have a cheaper option at left tackle at some point. So, I mean, it, it's the two at that at that point in time. So I, I don't think they're crazy about it, you know, especially for this year in particular. Um, 
But I, I think if Robinson was on a different uh, type of contract and he was a, a more consistent, better player, uh, I think that would be a different story. But he's not. So I, I think it's a, um, you know, it, it's almost like it, it's just a one-year issue. And the way you can stagger those cap hits, probably not a big deal. Uh, Humbaba, would a three-year, $40 million contract with 25 guaranteed be all right for both the Giants and Barkley? Uh, what are the cap consequences for Arizona cutting Kyler next year with a post-June one? Um, I I don't think Barkley would go for that number. Um, I could be wrong. I think that he wants that, like, uh, that 15, um, you know, kind of number. And that obviously doesn't get there. You know, I think from a realistic standpoint, I think that's kind of fine. Um, you know, that probably falls in line with the Derrick Henry kind of stuff. You know, two franchise tags, you just guarantee them both at the start. Um, you know, and that would be the thing. Uh, as for Kyler Murray, let me bring up his contract and see. Um, you know, he's got a, He's another one of those with those convoluted... Um, guarantees so i gotta probably build the contract up myself so you're saying if he was cut in 2024 as a post june one let's see all right so they would be able to avoid the 2025 so his dead money would be uh, thirty-five for about forty-eight million dollars. Um, now he's going to count for about fifty-two on the cap. So, hey, maybe you know you would do that, and then you know you would defer the rest of the dead money of the year before. But um, you know he's got thirty-five-three guaranteed right now. There must be some money that becomes guaranteed before that that I just don't have listed. Um, maybe it would be the full amount, but if it is, if it's just what I have there, it's 35, three plus another 13. And that would be your number that you'd have to do thoughts on Daniel Jones rumored contract value. I think it would be crazy if the giants considered it, uh, Connor on your website, trading Russell Wilson puts 60 million in dead money on the Barco's cap, but a post June one trade, there's an $8 million savings. Is that correct? And can you explain that? Oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> Let's take a look at Wilson's deal. I don't know if he's got that option structure in there. So um, this might be one of those where the option kind of makes everything go crazy. Let me just pull him up. So Wilson does have that um, option bonus. That's it. So, oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> um Okay, so Wilson's All right, Wilson's stuff is all guaranteed. Um Okay, so the reason that there would be a savings on a post June 1 is you're deferring a lot of that dead money um you know until later on. Um what year Whoops, let me just see this here. I'm sorry, I'm 
This is another one of these complicated contracts uh, that kind of breaks our system. Unless I, I move the money into oddball categories the way I did for Rodgers. Because um, that doesn't necessarily look right here. So no, I... Oh, you're saying a trade? Post-June 1 trade. Oh, okay, there we go. So the reason that the, the trade saves money is because, sorry, uh, you're deferring all that dead money to the future, okay, that you see there. You're only keeping $14 million on the books for this year, and that base salary, which is guaranteed at $8 million, you're sending off to another team. So that that's why it goes from $60 million dead to uh, $14 million dead with an $8 million savings. And you'd have the balance of all that dead money the following year. Now, actually, it would be less than that because he has a uh, option bonus that's guaranteed the following season. I'm already including that in dead money. Um, so there there wouldn't be as much that would be dead next year. Um, but, you know, it, it's and it, it wouldn't be 60 million dead if they traded him either right now. I probably have a post that details that that I probably could have pulled up instead. Um but the, the reason that the post-June 1 is a difference is you only keep the prorated money from this year. Keynes, what is the market value for Panthers free agent uh, Bradley Bozeman, and should they make him a priority? Um, I don't think they need to make anybody a prior <laughs> priority uh, in terms of free agency. Um, let's see. Let me just pull up his stuff here. You know, they, they signed him last year off the Ravens to a deal that was about three, you know, two, eight, uh, maybe a couple million more than that. I, I mean, I, I don't see how you would put him higher than that. Uh, we had his valuation on the year at 2.1. Now, he, did, uh, he didn't start the whole season. So, you know, obviously he's worth more than that, you know, but probably mid-tier range for centers, you know, five million or so, uh, you know, maybe in line with a couple of the guards that they, they signed there. Um, Zach, do you see Christian McCaffrey finishing out his contract? No, I do not. He's a running back. Never happens. Um, JD, what's the most likely pay cut to stay on the roster look like for Zeke? So I think with him, what was his cap savings? Around five. Let me pull him up. I, I would say what you, you end up doing is whatever those cap savings would be. So they would have saved five. Um, you know, by cutting him. So I, I would say probably what you look at doing, his salary for the year is about 10.9. I would say you try to drop that by 5 million so you get the same salary cap savings. Um, you know, but he's still playing. So I, I would try to drop his salary by like 5 million if you want to keep him. I think if he's not willing to accept that, I think you uh, want to go from there. Anthony, I want to get your thoughts on the NFLPA's recent team facilities survey. Whew. Um, okay, so if you guys didn't see it, you know, they, the Players Association did something that was pretty interesting where they basically surveyed a bunch of their players, and I didn't read through the whole thing, so, um, you know, maybe this is better a topic for next week. Uh, you know, basically to give guys a better idea for free agency where um, you polled a number of players and you asked them about, like, facilities, about... Um, the football administrator, like how much they're helping your family, you know, th th those kind of things. Um, you know, workout programs, training, all that stuff. 
Um, I thought it was kind of interesting, and I think there's different ways that you can quantify it. I think it's a great first start. The negative that was, I think, there with it, and again, not having read the whole thing, I, I can't say specifically, and I could be wrong on this, but a lot of the league is pretty young. And a lot of the league is used to coming out of college programs where everything is like the top of the line and you're constantly pouring money into those programs because you're always recruiting, um, you know, you're always doing stuff. So I almost think if you are a team that has a lot of younger players, you're probably going to grade poorly even though your facilities or your training, whatever, might not be that poor, but it's poor compared to college. I almost feel like it would have had more validity. And maybe maybe this is how it ran and I just didn't read it right, um, you know, or pay enough attention to it. I almost think it probably should have been focused a little bit more just on veteran players. Um, you know, and, it, it, and again, I didn't read it over completely. I just looked at some of the grades that they had on there. So I could be wrong, and maybe that is how it was. But, you know, I think if you look at veterans uh, specifically, and they've been with multiple organizations, you you might get a different feel for it. Um, So maybe maybe I'll try to do a little bit more on that next week, depending on what news there is going into free agency. Um, You know, and... uh, you know, maybe, maybe we can do a little bit more of a breakdown and maybe, maybe I can digest it a little bit more as to what they did. But I think it's actually a pretty good start. Um, just knowing kind of what you're getting into if you're going to another team and how much of a culture shock it might be based on what you already did. Shoes, if you were the Jets GM and all the possible quarterbacks were available, uh, what would your plan be? Um, I think I, I would try to make a move on Lamar Jackson. Uh, I think he he gives you that highest reward possibility, uh, certainly over a longer term. I, I do think there's obviously risk involved with that. I, I don't think it's risk-free, but I think, you know, Carr, you know, signing Carr is like punting from your 50. Um, signing Tannehill or trading for Tannehill, it's like punting from the 50. I mean, you know, punting from your... Uh, Punting from the opposing team's 40. I mean, it's just, there's just no upside to those kind of moves. Um, You know, can you get lucky like the Rams did with Stafford? I mean, anything is possible. I'd much rather go Jacoby Brissett at that point. Um, I think if I had to rank my options, I, I would probably go Lamar Jackson first. Probably trying to make a move in the draft second. Uh, third would be Rodgers. And then fourth, I, I would put something like just signing Jacoby Brissett and just saying, hey, it is what it is. Let's do that and see what happens. Uh, Colin, are prorated signing bonuses the only way to get cash to cap ratios greater than one? Um, well, incentives, I mean, option bonuses, uh, certain types of guaranteed workout and roster bonuses but yeah basically um you know anything that that, that's gonna pay you more um in a given year um than the uh um than what the cap percentage is that that's what it would be 
Uh, shoes, you've said the NFL has a smooth uptick for the salary cap. It has one big jump in it probably the next couple of years. Uh, when it makes a big jump, how much will it go up? So I don't know what that's going to be. I, I am totally in the in the dark on that one. You know, next year I think we have the cap listed, what, at like 250 on the website? Um, you know, I, I, I really don't know. Uh, my estimate at the moment, if I remember right when I first did it, uh, it was based somewhat on the jump that existed in, uh, I have 256. It was based on the jump that happened the last time a television contract came down, you know, trying to kind of look at a percentage basis. But I'm also kind of factoring in that we're way below where we should be because of the COVID stuff. So, you know, I'm basing it on, you know, normally the cap was rising about $10 million a year, give or take a little bit. And that right now our cap, instead of being 224.8, should probably be like 245-ish. Um, you know, probably a little bit less than that. And so that's where I'm coming up with that like 256. But I don't really know. You know, it'll be very interesting to see how that happens. Uh, Andy, can a team that has traded away one of their future first still make an offer to a player on a non-exclusive tag uh, if the original team doesn't want to match it or do they just receive the next two? So... I think if you make that offer before the draft, you have to have a pick in this year's draft. Otherwise, they don't let it happen. I know that's how it works for restricted free agency, so it should work the same for the regular free agency, I think. I'm sorry, the regular tag. Um, do franchise tags hit the salary cap immediately or only when the player signs? So the Jets, there's a... Uh, okay, so that sounds like a second part. So the tag, as soon as the tender is made, it counts on the cap. So you had Payne... Um, that was tagged by the Washington this week. He's the only player that got that tag so far. That was not a surprise. Um, his tag number is 18.937 million. That already counts on the salary cap. He hasn't signed it yet. Who knows when he'll sign it, but that does count on the cap. The only exception I believe is the exclusive tag that that'll count at the lower. It'll count at the non-exclusive number and then increase up. Uh, at a later date. Um, second part of the question for the Jets, is there a balance to deal with Lawson and Davis contracts in the short term for cap relief as opposed to later when they can pressure the players close to the season starting? Um, I don't think there's much of a balance with it. I think the the issue is that with Lawson, I mean, the Jets drafted another edge. So I think you, you, you want to kind of focus on that. Um, I think for Davis, it's more like it's a position of weakness. So you're probably just looking at what you can get. But, uh, you know, I, I think you just bring that stuff out there and, uh, you know, you, you just bring it up with those players. If you look to restructure them, you try to come up with a deal. Lundar, any chance you can go into how it trades affect a player's cap? Does the team trading away a player have the ability to eat some of the salary to make it easier? Curious if there's any flexibility on the final cap number based on the negotiation. Sure. Um, so... When you trade a player, so if you if you were using our cap charts, for example, um, and let let's just assume that uh, you know all these trades are made before like a roster bonus is paid out or a workout bonus, uh, basically you you would look across at a player, and their cap hit for the team that acquires them would basically be the cap number that you see, and you would subtract out of that whatever is the prorated bonus in every single year. Um, so that's how you come up with what the cap number would be for the team that acquires the player. Now, many times you might increase 
um, the draft pick that you offer a team based on how much money they're willing to eat. So if that uh, team is willing to eat $10 million of salary, um, you know, you, you maybe instead of giving them a fifth round pick, you give them a fourth round pick or something like that. The way that that is done um, is the team will take $10 million out of the base salary. They'll pay it to the players as a signing bonus prior to the trade. That'll be divided among five years or whatever. It moves to the prorated bonus money co- uh, column. So for the team that acquires that player, that money drops out. So usually it's done to uh, for short-term. Um, it's not a long-term. It's done to... Uh, prepay this year's salary so a team can fit a player on the cap. So let's say they had a $20 million base salary and a team can only afford 10. Uh, the, the, they would get the prior team to pay them a $10 million signing bonus. They would increase the trade offer for them picking up the 10 million and then they would get that player for only $10 million. Um, so that, that's the mechanism by what that goes, uh, by how that goes. Uh, would the expected draft compensation for Atlanta to acquire uh, Lamar Jackson be similar to draft compensation for Atlanta to move to number one? Well, the risk in drafting young Stroud is real. The money committed over five years is significantly less, mitigating some risk. Uh, which should Atlanta pursue? Uh, yeah, I I guess it would be the same. Again, I, I'm never up on these draft picks. You know, if these guys are considered kind of generational talents, history has been that it, it it's a three number one move, right? Um, uh, that's the the RG three trade. Um, so, I I would say that that's what it would cost, and Lamar Jackson would be the same thing. But your difference, yeah, is basically you're talking about giving up three number ones in both scenarios. One scenario is fifty million dollars a year with some injury risk. Um, the other scenario is like nine million dollars a year with some injury risk and a good deal of he may suck risk. So I think in this case, I would probably go the Lamar Jackson route. Um, I, I would, I would take my chances and do that. Um, but that, that's just because I'd be bullish enough on Lamar Jackson. Um, but I would not be as bullish on Lamar Jackson as a couple of other, you know, people might be. And certainly, uh, you know, compared to another couple people, a uh, couple players around the league, um, you know, I, I'd be a little risky, um, with that, but I, I think I would take my shot on Jackson, um, in that scenario. Costa, uh, what if the bears trade down and still select one of the top quarterbacks? Feels like that's a happy medium. Sure. Yeah. I, I think that's fine too. Um, my point isn't that the, the bears have to take a quarterback at number one. You can have your cake and eat it too. I'm just saying that I think the Bears, if they're in a position to draft a quarterback, should remain in a position to draft a quarterback and should take a quarterback. Um, you know, the, those opportunities don't present themselves all that often. Um, you know, so if the Colts, are the Colts at four? I was having this discussion with one of my friends today. Now I can't even remember. Um, let me see if the Colts are at number four. Yeah, Colts are at four. So, for example, if the Colts want to give you a bunch of stuff to move from four to one, like, to me, that's fine. It's like, all right, you know what? They, we So the Colts take a quarterback. The Texans take a quarterback. As long as the Cardinals don't trade out, you know, we, we can get a quarterback at number four if we want. So I, I, I think that's perfectly fine. 
Uh, what's the difference with the cap hit when a player is traded around the deadline as opposed to before the season? Um, basically, what the, the difference is there is the deadline is however many weeks in. So uh, let's say someone's traded in week seven. It means six eighteenths of his base salary was already paid by the other team. So you're only responsible um, for the remaining, uh, the, what, 11 weeks, um, you know, of the season. Uh, you know, up to 12 weeks, I'm sorry, 18-week season now. Uh, the remaining 12 weeks of the season. Um, you know, the difference really is for the team that trades him away, all that uh, bonus money that accelerates from future years, that would all be dumped into 2024 because you're doing it in the season. Uh, is Brandon Cooks more likely to be moved during the season? I would think so because it sounds like they couldn't find teams that were willing to take on his fully guaranteed salary for this year. So unless the Texans are going to pick up some of that I, w- I would say the the happy kind of compromise there is, well, let them pick it up by keeping them for six or seven weeks, and then we'll, we'll pay the balance on the season. At which point you probably know if you're at least a contending team or not. Uh, let's see. Wade, uh, what are your ideas on the Vikings extending Jefferson, structure and timing? Also, what structure and timing makes sense for Hawkinson? Um you know, I, Jefferson's got to be the first legitimate $30 million a year receiver. Um, I would just say you get it done. Just just do it and, you know, you know, do it this summer and whatever it is it is. Uh, you know, I'm not even going to worry about the structure of that. But to, to me, and, and I know I, I go off on this stuff all the time, especially with the receivers. To me, he's just such a special player. Um Barring injury, I just have a hard time envisioning him, um, you know, just falling apart. I, I just don't see it. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't see it. He's just so crazy talented. Uh, for Hawkinson, I don't know, do it in August or something. Um, you know, let some deals come down and, uh, you know, do, do whatever you got to do there. Um, let me just pull up his numbers on that. You know, so Hawkinson is under contract for nine four this year. So I mean, you you have to do it before the season because you can take that nine four and roll it into the guarantee. Um, so I, I would say anytime mid August is perfectly fine to do it. I, I don't anticipate the tight end market changing this uh, off season. So I, I I would say that's the that's the way you do it. Native son, uh, was there to discuss about Lamar's contract that hasn't been discussed? Probably not much. You know, I, I talked about it a little bit earlier, obviously. Uh, I don't think there was too many new things there. Small baller. Uh, explain the upcoming Russell Wilson cap hits impact, what George Patton can do in free agency along with the lack of draft capital. Um, you know, Wilson, I mean, it, it just depends on what you're building. You know, if you think Wilson is the guy... Um, you know, you're you're going to continue to build around that. If your other option is to, to kind of go in the tank, you know, that changes what you do. But you, you just hired Sean Payton, so you're not going to go in the tank. So I think you just work around everything that is a Russell Wilson deal. My feeling with Russ's contract, and I don't have it up in front of me, but I, I know I've been on this before. If Wilson is going to suck, you know, halfway through the year, you have to bench him for whomever else you have on your roster. You're just doing that to protect yourself from those future guarantees from kicking in. 
um, you know, and you're going to cut him the following year. So, you know, I I don't think that uh, Wilson's presence, given what they've done, I don't think it's going to change anything. Um, maybe it changes the structure with certain deals that you do uh, with other players, but you know, I I think for the most part, you you're now building around your head coach. You're not building around your quarterback anymore. Uh, Sun Moonrise, 31, on a possible Rodgers trade. I read very different numbers regarding what cap hit a team would have to eat that trades for him. Uh, what would the numbers be? I don't know why I'm not getting your whole thread here, but I'm, I'm going to pull it up. Um, so, okay, I think this deals with a Mike Tannenbaum interview. Um, what would the numbers to carry be if there's no restructuring of his contract? So I think this deals the Mike Tannenbaum interview we did on ESPN where he said a team would have to clear $60 million in cap space to trade for him. I have not seen contracts uh, behave in that manner. So Aaron Rodgers does have a $60 million salary, give or take a little bit, for this year. But it's structured as an option bonus. The NFL has always treated option bonuses because they are at the discretion of the team as quote-unquote likely to be earned, likely to be picked up, likely to be exercised, whatever it is. And that money has always been prorated over the course of the contract. So in my opinion, a team only needs, you know, $15, $16 million in space to trade for him. Uh, I think the only way you would need $60 million in space to trade for him is if the Packers dropped, uh, if the Packers declined the option and allowed that base salary to jump up, which means that they would need the cap room and a team that trades for him would need the cap room. But I, I think Mike is wrong on that. And, uh, you know, I, I could be wrong too. Um, so I'm not going to say a hundred percent, but, um, my experience with it has been that way. And I, I think he's incorrect on that. I think this is probably just someone telling him he's got a $60 million salary and he's not picking up on the option stuff because I, I, you know, not, not to pick on, uh, not to pick on him, but I know he got something wrong on that, uh, similar to that couple years ago with something uh, that he posted on Twitter that was just incorrect. Um, so I, I think he's incorrect in this point in time, but, uh, you know, I think that's the case. Uh, second part of the question, what do you think the compensation is possible trade? So I, I, I don't know. I've really had a hard time with this one. Um, you know, my, my feeling on this is you're giving you know, something moderate this year, like a three or a four, and everything the following year is based on performance and whether he's still under contract. So, you know, maybe something that's like a three or a four this year and a number one next year or a two next year that can, you know, jump up to a one. You know, I, I almost feel like that's the that's the structure of the, a trade, but I don't, I, I don't know um, as to how that would be. All right, let's see. Last couple questions here. Thoughts on Darius Slay's 17 base? Uh, even if Bradbury walks, which seems likely, 17 seems like a lot. Do you think the Eagles trade or June want him? No, I, I think they'll just restructure it. I, I think that, um, you know, the Eagles, I, I always say that there are what you see is what you get. And I think they're going to try to hold on to someone like that and, um, you know, just, just kind of go from there. 
uh, Mass Eagle, what's the name of the podcast? Well, you found it, so you've heard it yeah, over the Cat Podcast. Um, there you go. Uh, I guess I should try to reply on that. Um, I don't even know if this one's in here. There's a reply to that. Uh, let me just pull this up. This is from Finn. Should the Ravens consider the non-exclusive tag for Lamar to try to get his fully guaranteed or too risky? Um, is there a poison pill situation for Baltimore besides the full guarantee they'd be worried of? So, um, you know, I went over that a um, little bit before. Um, I think there's one or two teams, though. I don't think the Bears are interested. So I think it's really Atlanta. I think there's a possibility that they could craft a contract that you might not be able to match from a salary cap perspective. Um, and that that's probably the only poison pill that you can really put into that contract. You know, load up that money in the first year, load up that salary cap charge in the first year. Um, I don't think the money would be as big of a deal only because the Ravens' style of contracts have been like that before. But if you can make a cap hit that they can't match, and I'd have to run through all the things that they can maybe do with their roster, um, you know, to to see if that's a a possibility. Um, you know, I I think that that's really the the biggest poison pill that you can put in it. I mean, the the stuff is basically outlawed. The the real crazy poison pill stuff. Um, <sighs> You know, I mean, you you could put in incentives based on the playoffs. I think those would count with Baltimore. They would not count with Atlanta. But, I mean, Atlanta might also be putting themselves in a position where they would potentially be paying out a ridiculous amount of money just for making the playoffs. And they probably don't want to do that if they're also doing a uh, crazy contract. So, um, you know, I think the main thing is just the, the way the salary cap breakdown works. Uh, can you please describe the 2023 and 2024 salary cap ramifications of the Raiders trading for Aaron Rodgers? Seems too good to be true. Um, yeah, the numbers are too good to be true. So, I mean, all right, let, let me just look them up. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, let's see. Aaron. I got to pull up my post on this. Um Hopefully this is the right one. I should just repost this like every two weeks. Salary cap impact of trading for Aaron Rodgers. I think if I posted this every two weeks, it would every time we get a bazillion hits, uh, <laughs> just because everybody goes crazy for it. Um, so if you trade for Rodgers, uh, let's see cap. Ba 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 ba. Um, Sorry, I'm just going through this myself. All right, so basically you would need about 15.6 million, 15.7. Let, let's call it 16 million this year. Um, the next year would be... Oh, here we go. So it's uh, 15.79 million this year. 32.5 million the following year. The problem comes in 2024 when you've got all this dead money that would hit. You know, you, you, you'd be looking at that point at, uh, let's see, 
Um, let me just pull up the actual numbers on this. Whoops. So you'd have about uh, 51 plus, let's see. 51 plus 45, and we back out the salaries that are there. Or let's do it this other way here. Sorry. Um, I'm sure it's buried in the text here, but you'd have to account for about 60.5 million in dead money in 2025. So that's the catch. So the way that it works is 15.8 this year, 32.5 the following year, potentially 60 million to not have him in the third year. Um, so that that's really the the catch that's there. Uh, Manfred, uh, what will Lamar get when he finally signs with someone? Um, you know, if he signs with another team, I would guess he would get something like six years, 300 fully guaranteed, you know, something in that ballpark. Uh, oh, and if the Ravens put the non-exclusive tag on Jackson, what sort of structure would the Ravens not be able to match? Um, you know, like I said, I think it's that thing with that cap hit. Let, you know what? Let, let's, uh, let's do the Ravens. Let, let's, since I talked about it, let's pull up a calculator and let's just get into it here. As we, since we're getting close to wrapping up anyway, um, let's pull up, let, let's see what the Ravens can get to in cap room without adding void years. So I'm, I'm just going to make this just easier on me to do it, um, with the calculations, uh, or, you know, maybe we do it with the adding void years. Um, all right, so right now I have the Ravens with 24 in cap room. They can create 9 million. Let's see. Marlon Humphreys, Mark Andrews. Basically, I, I'm just going to max every single player out and let's see what they can get to. Chuck Clark is probably a cut. Let's just cut him. Uh, let's cut Bowser. Um, cut him. Well, we're not going to cut Justin Tucker. No, there's no savings there. We're going to cut Michael Pierce. No, he should have been on my cut list. Uh... Are we going to cut Morgan Moses short? Let's cut Morgan Moses short term. Um, cut our receiver, cut our fullback. All right, so we cut all those guys. That gets us to 42. And our restructures, let's see. So this would get us to 51. About 59. 64. So I think they can get to about 74 million. Okay, so this is max void years for Stanley, Humphrey, Andrew, Zeitler, Campbell, Smith, uh, Marcus Williams. Uh, hold on one second. Let me, let me see if Campbell would be better as a cut. Campbell would save more as a cut. All right, so let's put him in there. So that gets you to 50. 
All right, so we're going to do a max restructure on Stanley. That gets us to 59. Humphrey, 67. Uh, Andrews, 72, I think. Zeitler, 76. Roquan Smith, 78. Um... Chuck Clark, we've cut. Bowser, we cut. Mikari, we've cut. Michael Pierce, we cut. Um, Morgan Moses, we cut. Devin Duvernay, we cut. Ricard, we cut. So basically, I'm cutting every single person that I can possibly cut. We cut Calias Campbell and all those things. I can get to 79. So I think if Atlanta crafts a contract, remember, you've still got to sign your rookies. You've still got to have money to operate. I think if Atlanta crafts a contract that has that cap number in that $75 million range this year, which is a crazy number, I think Baltimore would have a very tough time matching that. Um, you know, now I don't know with any of those players that I mentioned here, I don't know if they have guarantees that might kick in um, at some point in time. I don't think they do, you know, because... Most of the cuts are like lower, kind of lower level guys. So I don't think they would. Um, but that's just to give you an idea of what the team would have to do if they signed a deal that was in that $75 million first year range. Now, if the Falcons somehow were able to get him to $80 million, I, I don't think the Ravens could match that just based on what I was going over with the roster there. I, I don't think there's a way they could do it. Even 75 might be hard. Uh, Jason Stark, uh, if the Jets signed Carr, would he not count as a free agent sign? So if they let free agents walk, he wouldn't cost them a comp pick. Yeah, so uh, Derek Carr does not count towards the compensatory pick process. Uh, do you think the Bears are trying to make the move on the first overall pick before some quarterback spots are filled to maximize value with more suitors involved? No, I don't think so. I think the teams that are interested in like a Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers... I don't think those teams are that interested in drafting a rookie quarterback. I mean, the Panthers should be, so maybe maybe the Panthers are. Um, but I, I think if I'm if I'm looking at those teams, I'm looking more at teams like the Colts. I'm looking at teams like the Texans. I don't envision those teams being in the market for those players. So um, I think that's that's what it would be. Uh, Brian, how would you handle the quarterback situation if you were the Raiders? Said before they weren't built for a rookie quarterback, but that appears to be the way they want to go. If now, my I say I'm not crazy about blowing a team up. If I was the Raiders, I would switch course. And I know they made some mistakes, I think, with what they did last year. But I think if I was the Raiders, I would look to see what I could recover uh, by trading Devontae Adams. Um, I don't remember if he has a no trade, but whatever. You, know, you, you can always get guys to waive that. Um, I think I would look to see what I could recover um, trading Darren Waller. Uh, I'm probably stuck with Renfro. I, I don't think his contract has value to another team, but you know maybe in the season it does. I I think that's what I would look to do. Now they're they're not they're they're going to look to do something completely different. Um, obviously, you know they're talking about franchising Josh Jacobs. They uh, are talking about that Devontae Adams is going to be involved in the quarterback process. Um, now at the same time they're talking about bringing quarterback in long term. I don't envision them trading a bunch of stuff away for Lamar Jackson. Maybe that would make some sense based on that kind of theory. Um, 
you know, I, I would guess with them, you know, may, maybe you're looking at one of these younger quarterbacks that's maybe fallen out of favor a little bit. Um, I don't know who it would be, though. You know, I, I'm not... Nothing really stands out that really makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I look at them right now. But, uh, you know, I... I it depends just on what you want to do. I mean, if you're looking to to win, you know, I mean, maybe they would make a move on Tannehill. You know, I mean, because he doesn't carry anything guaranteed. What's his salary this year? He's in the last year of his contract. I mean, they didn't want to pay Carr. Um, Tannehill's salary this year is 27, nothing guaranteed. I mean, maybe... Maybe for the Raiders, that's going to be their fallback option. I don't know. Uh, if it was me, I'm just looking to draft somebody and I'm looking to move those players, but that's just me. Colin, if the commanders cut uh, Chase Rulia with the restructuring his contract last year post-injury uh, for 4-5, be viewed as a mistake. Is he a post-June 1? Um, I think he'd probably be a regular cut, right? You know, they, they, they did what they did on the contract. This kind of stuff happens all the time. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think that, um, you know, that restructuring it was a big deal. They needed the cap room, you know, so it goes. Um, yeah, they, they'd open up four. I, I, think they, I think they would just open up the money now. I, I don't think they'd uh, wait on that. Flip, linebackers, all lumped together as well as offensive linemen, all lumped together when it comes to the franchise tag. Why do you think they weren't separated out, like inside linebacker, separated from edge? So I, I think for the um, linebacker position at the time, I don't think you had a ton of teams running three fours. Um, you know, it's only been recently to where the linebacker tags have uh, gone past the DEs. Typically, your top-paid edge rushers were 4-3 defensive ends. They were not stand-up 3-4 outside linebackers. So I think when that system was devised, I understand why they put those guys together. There wasn't really a lot, even back then, um, you know, that, that was really going to change the value of the inside linebacker versus the outside linebacker. And, um, you know, even with the teams, for some of the things they ran... You know, linebackers were considered much more important when you had that running game that was considered more important, right? Because you wanted these guys that amassed a bunch of tackles. So I don't think the salary differentials were maybe as big as they are now, too. But I think the bigger thing was just that that was traditionally uh, the positional breakdown. Offensive linemen, I, I don't really understand that one other than maybe it just became difficult for the league to specifically determine, well, you know, this guy was a left tackle on this play. Well, you know, in this, in this formation, really, he was a tight end, you know, based on where he was lined up, you know, in this goal line package, it was this, I, my guess is it was just easy. That's probably the basis of it. It was just easy. And, um, you know, I, I think I could understand that the other four positions being lumped together, uh, you know, left tackle obviously became much, much more important. But I, I think at the time when the franchise tag was determined, left tackle was already way more important. Um, but, you know, even when you go back in that point in time, when you did have salary differentials, remember the salaries were much smaller, so maybe they didn't seem as big of a differential. 
um, as they actually are. All right, I think this is the last question from Tom here. If the Ravens are willing to get up to 80% guaranteed on the Mars contract, what are the best case scenarios for this year's cap number? Um, <coughs> you know, I, I would guess that the lowest they could get is cap number. Probably be around 18, 20 million. You know, something like that. You know, $80 million signing bonus and a couple million dollar P5. Um, you know, maybe just a 1 million P5. You know, that'd get him to 17. So I, I would guess that that would be kind of the ballpark as to, to what you would look at and say, okay, that that's probably the, um, you know, the lowest they could get if they, uh, if they did that deal. Um, let's see, is that it? Okay. I think that's it. I, I think all the questions are here. I'm seeing stuff on my, uh. Okay, I don't know if this was a question for the podcast. Uh, I'll throw this one in there, and I'll, I'll reply on Twitter in a minute. This is from Dave Lombardi. Um, would a Robbie Gold franchise tag be 539 or more than that? CBA is unclear about the second tag. I'm not sure it has to be consecutive years. So um, second tag does not have to be consecutive years. So he would qualify in the 1-2, uh, the 120%. Um but yeah, but that was not a podcast question, but I'll throw it in there anyway, because that's an interesting little tidbit. So, okay, I think that is it for me. Uh, we came in just at two hours and so not as long, I think, as the last mega podcast, but pretty long. Um, so hopefully I'll be back next week as we start to get into the quote unquote legal tampering period, open negotiation window, whatever nonsense you want to call it. Um See how it goes. Just bear with me with the contracts as they come in. Uh, so if I am not on next week, uh, I'll just put that out there now. Just bear with me with the contracts. I don't expect this to be as crazy as years past. Uh, if there are trades trades that are agreed to, um, I will probably process them, even though those are not going to be the official cap positions for these teams. But, you know, if Aaron Rodgers, if they agreed to trade him, you know, I'll, I'll move him to a team that trades for him. Um, just because it'll be more confusing if I leave him on the Packers. So I'll just get rid of that confusion and just move the contract over early. But remember, those things can't actually be processed until the start of the league year. Um, but yeah, just uh, bear with us during everything. I'll be doing the contract grades again, you know, during that time frame. Um, you know, and with the contract grades, just like that, you know, anything else, I wait until I kind of get the full structure on those deals or at least whatever is that reported structure, because it's not fair to give a grade just based on a value. Um, you can, you can discuss it, but it's really based on the way those salary cap numbers break down, the way the guaranteed structure breaks down, the way the virtual guarantee breaks down, um, you know, as well as what that value is relative to market. So, you know, I, I'm going to wait until those come in and I'll try to get as many up as I can. My schedule this year, I know is way more hectic than it's been in the past, but uh, we'll have some late nights um, getting through some stuff. So we'll have some more Southern Tier uh, IPAs or dogfish heads or something to, uh, you know, keep the uh, keep the fingers churning here on the keyboard. Um, so everybody have a great week, and hopefully I will talk to you all again next weekend.